Well, welcome to the Logically Faithful Podcast. My name is Keldun Swice. I am Associate Professor of Philosophy at the City Colleges of Chicago and Tutor of Philosophy with Oxford University. I have been studying the Christian faith for over two decades and authored three books on the matter. I am the father of two amazing children and the husband of one wonderful wife. I'm here to help you find evidence for your faith. The theme is turning thinkers into believers and believers into thinkers. You see, my goal is to help you deal with suffering in life like I did, so you can find greater fulfillment that is life-changing. I am excited that you're with me on this journey. Let's go ahead and get started. My point today is to emphasize that life is meaningless without God. So start seeking God because He is already seeking you. You see, when I was about 14 to 15 years old, I was asking more questions than I could annoy people with. Teachers told me, actually at a younger age, that I could only ask five questions an hour. It was difficult for me because as a Jordanian coming into the country and uh, becoming an American citizen when I was five, as I moved into the classroom, uh, transitioning through the language and other cultural barriers were not easy for me. And the students did not lose any time trying to emphasize the differences I had brought to the classroom in addition to making fun of me and uh, mocking and things of that nature, which drove me uh, deeper into an introspective attitude. But nevertheless, I still had the questions. And that's why they put that sign. Khaldun could only ask five questions an hour on my desk. Uh, but nevertheless, it, it helped me think deeper on an introspective level. And I began to write a lot of my questions down. When I hit about 14 or 15 years old, my, um, uh, my inquisitive nature reached a peak to a point where it started to have an existential crisis on my, on, on my hands. That's something that Kierkegaard would have talked about or uh, Albert Camus and others. And I began to question the very existence of life itself. What's the point of living? Now, I realize that most students or teachers and others address this issue on a deeper level with many people who reach their teen years and begin to transition into adulthood. And I began to think deeper about it than the average student around me, uh, to a point where it drove me to a suicidal tendencies. I um, uh, was in my room and began to think about uh, the, the deaths of the people around me, particularly my uncle Skandam, who had died of lung cancer, and his wife died just a few days before him. He, he actually prophetically told her she would die before him, not to cry as much. But she did. And th that, that left a wound, a tattoo on my soul that, that had um, began and made me journey deep within myself to ask, is there any other thing than life than this? I actually wrote a long letter to the clergy in my uh, community, the priests, and he actually passed the letter to his uh, deacon who, who didn't even address the questions I had asked. It was so frustrating to me, and it left me into a pit of despair that I actually went into my room that night, and it was raining hard. And I looked up into that window, and the, uh, I saw my reflection in that window as behind it the rain, rain began to beat upon the window sheet. And I, I, the darkness outside was nothing compared to the darkness and the emptiness within me. I picked up a knife. It was a particular knife. It was a Rambo survival knife from the Sylvester Stallone series. 
It was a black knife with white braids upon it, and at the end it had a compass. And I remember that blade. When you open up the compass, it had all these survival gear in there, including matches and uh, fishing line and things of that nature. It was, it was a fascinating piece of equipment that I would take care of and oil often and sharpen, hoping that someone will take me as a child to uh, hunting or uh, hiking, which actually never happened. But nevertheless, I wanted to use it for something opposite its name, not to survive, but to die. Because I reasoned that no matter how successful I was, no matter how high I reached upon the echelons of society, I would never, ever escape the talons and the uh, cape of death that will ultimately wrap itself around me. I needed to find myself a point of reference beyond this world, beyond my own hopelessness, and be able to rise above that. And this was echoed, actually, by many people in history who have got, went through a similar uh, psychological and existential struggle. Particularly, I'm referring to Blaise Pascal and his book, The Penzis, where he wrote the following. I see the terrible, terrifying immensity of the universe which surrounds me and find myself limited to one corner of this vast expanse, not knowing why I am set here rather than set elsewhere, nor why my brief period appointed in life is assigned to me at this moment rather than another in all of eternity that goes on before me and after me. And he says the following, as I know not whence I come nor whither I go, I only know that I, leaving this world, I fall forever into nothingness or into the hands of a wrathful God without knowing to which of these two states I shall be everlastingly consigned. Such is my condition, full of weakness and uncertainty. For all of this, I concluded that I ought to spend every day of my life without seeking to know my fate. I might perhaps be able to find a solution to my doubts, but I cannot be bothered to do so, and I will not take one step forward in that discovery. Pascal's saying that he wants to avoid dealing with this question because it's too painful for him. But ultimately, he realized that it's actually more painful to not answer the question than to answer it. And sometimes the truth will hurt us. And the shocking thing is, the most shocking thing is, that that hurt will bring immense and eternal healing because the truth himself became one of us and walked the earth. And I had to realize that because at that point when I picked up that blade and began to pull, uh, start poking it into my left arm, suddenly the radio in my room came on and the voice of a man began to echo into the chambers of my room and ultimately into the chambers of my heart. You know what he said? He said, if you think escaping this life will bring you peace, you are in for a rude awakening. You may end up in more suffering than you've ever imagined in the next life if you are not right with God. I stopped, and I knew at that point that I was full of a lot of selfishness and sin in my own life, and I needed to listen to him. So I listened. My ears perked up, and I listened. Because life without God is meaningless, and I realized that at first hand. But you should start seeking God now because he is already seeking you. And at that point in my room, he was seeking me. For he had turned that radio on or had it come on in some way that I just do not remember. How? And the man began to talk about salvation and talk about hope beyond this earth.
He talked about that this God is a God of justice, a God who wants to make sure every wrong act is righted. And he will not allow anything to pass because he is the essence of perfection. And he quoted uh, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 31. It is a fearful thing to ha fall into the hands of the living God. And I dropped that knife and I, I began to listen even more. And my knees followed suit. And then he also talked about not only God's justice, but also God's love. Because he talked about um, John, uh, in the book of John, where uh, he talked, Jesus talked about uh, that salvation comes to those who ask it. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall have eternal life. I, uh, I begin to pray. I begin to pray, guys. And I ask God, if you're real, if there really is a God out there that's listening to me, then save me, change me, remake me. And Lord, if you are real, save me from myself. I felt a sense of overwhelming peace in that room. Theologians call it a theophany. Some call it a Christophany. Basically, it's an appearance of God on an existential personal level. And millions of people have had this happen to them throughout the years in, in, in human history. And that happened to me that day in my room. I felt an overwhelming sense of peace and hope like I've never even imagined was there. And also a sense of fear and a sense of trembling and a sense of overwhelming purpose. All that rolled into one. The next day, um, uh, my friend Norman knocked on the door and invited my brother and I uh, to Ashburn Baptist Church. And my journey was revolutionized after that when I began to learn about who this God was that appeared to me in my room. The one that I began to hear about, the one who could save me, change me, and actually came to earth as a man and walked the earth. Uh, I began to learn about him and, and that actually transformed my life as I began to grow as a believer and as a Christian. And I hope that you can find that meaning yourself because guys, without an ultimate sense of purpose, without an ultimate hope, you can't have ultimate meaning. Now, let me stop here for a moment. Some of you critics out there will ask, well, hold on. And I would have asked this question. I have meaning in life. I may be an atheist or a skeptic or a nonchalant believer, but I don't need God to bring me meaning. I mean, I find meaning in my job. I look good in the gym. Um, I have a nice, wonderful, beautiful wife. I have a, or a girlfriend, or I'm currently going to expand my, my work at, and, and my career options are growing. But why do I need God to help me find meaning? Okay, legitimate question. Here's what. No matter how successful you are in business, ultimately money and success will only go so far. They will not provide you a sense of purpose and meaning. Having a wonderful relationship is great, but that will not last forever. Sooner or later, these children that you have will grow up and go. The wife that you, beautiful wife, will also get old and she will lose her, her wonderful aesthetic appeal to you. Sooner or later, by going to the gym and looking at the mirror, you will get older. And here's a shocking revelation. Your body will too. You will not maintain that cosmopolitan figure and, and look forever. It doesn't last. Guys, you, in each and every one of our souls, there is an eternal vacuum, an eternal black hole. 
seeking and something to fill it. And the more we put into it, the more it just sinks in there. Some of it lasts a little longer than others, but ultimately it gets sucked in. Because this hole, this vacuum is created for something eternal. And the only one who is eternal is God. And he's the only one who can fill the vacuum because he never changes, he never ends, and he is the ultimate hope and creator of the universe and ultimately of yourself and me and you. So finding hope in something greater than ourselves is what something all the major philosophers in the history of the world tell us, with some slight exceptions of the existentialists. And ultimately that hope has to be more than just an idea or a thing or a theory or a hypothesis but ultimately in someone who loved us so much that he walked the earth with us and, and gave himself for us. And that's called the gospel. And I gave myself to him. And that brought me hope because I, as Solomon said, hated life because the work done under the sun was grievous to me. It was all meaningless, like chasing after the wind. And I needed to begin to embrace the fact that I'll, although I have a limited time on this earth, that limited time is pregnant with meeting, full of life, ready to give birth to the events and the goals and the opportunities God has laid out for me. It was a remarkable change in perspective because I had a change in heart. And ultimately, the change in heart comes by accepting what God has done for us through Christ. And as I begin to accept that and learn that, I begin to grow in my own faith. And um, do you, what about yourself? Do you feel empty? Do you feel sad? Do you feel um, uh, like a period of life is not, just not, things are not filling that void inside you? Guys, everyone goes through this at one stage or another. But some people live with that void and it grows. And let me tell you, that void there is not there by accident. God placed it there. And the more you are aware of it, the more you're introspective about it, the more you realize the hand of God working inside you. Because God himself has placed that hole in there so you can see that it can only be filled by him. And he specifically said it well. Through the prophet Jeremiah, when God said specifically the following, actually it's 29, 13. You will seek me and you will find me. When you seek me with all your heart. If you seek God, you will recognize something amazing that he has already been seeking you. So, this is the impetus and the origin behind this podcast. This is where I grew and began to grow in my faith in Christ. And I'm finding evidence for that every day. And as I went into my career in philosophy and apologetics and theology, I began to learn more and more what that was. And I'm hoping that as you journey with me, you'll be able to find that as well. Now, let's, uh, let's wrap this up with some tips. You may be asking, how do I do this? How do I find a relationship with God? How do I find peace? Well, I'll give you four, four tips that have really, really helped me and I hope will help you as well. First, start asking the uncomfortable questions. Consult logic. Uh, recognize your feelings are legitimate. Uh, invoke your imagination. Seek after research. Don't let these questions pass you up. Let them be an impetus to dig deeper into the areas of life where you can find the, not necessarily all the answers, but the ones who will give you the answers, and ultimately the one who is the answer. First, embrace the questions, embrace the struggle. 
recognize that the questions you have are legitimate. Like, why don't my parents love me? Why is life um, not fulfilling? Is there more to existence than the physical world itself? Those are legitimate questions. Recognize that they are. Don't push them away. Don't do what Pascal said he wanted to do. Avoid them at all costs. Rather, embrace them. Recognize they're there. And begin to seek answers to them. And that leads to uh, tip number two. Seek those answers by seeking the one who is the answer for everything, which is God. Seek him in prayer. Prayer is the ultimate conversation between the eternal and the temporal, between the transcendent and the limited. Seek God because he is already seeking you, and that's where ultimately, ultimately, hope is found. Because God himself said it to us in Romans, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And he says it in Ephesians that by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. This grace comes from seeking God and recognizing that he's provided it for us. So tip number two is seek God in prayer. Now, how do you seek him without going all over the place uh, uh, on, on, the, on, the, on the theological and existential struggle of the compass of life? Because you may be going anywhere. Well, you'll need a GPS. You need a compass. And that's where the Bible comes in. And that's tip number three. Open the ancient scriptures, which, by the way, is the most historically accurate book in the history of the ancient world. Start with the book of John. Start reading it. And you will find remarkably words in there and words of life that have revolutionized my own life. And I hope you'll see that it will revolutionize you as the Bible has been used to revolutionize and change the world. And finally, seek um, advice and speak, seek spiritual guidance from other people, godly people. You know who they are. You know the people in your life who know God and know uh, and live a, a life that's exemplary. Go ahead and ask them. Seek them. But not only that, consult great literature that will help you. Uh, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis was essential in my growth. Also a great book by uh, J.I. Packer called Knowing God, uh, which is a wonderful resource to help you grow in your faith. Uh, you can read these and supplement it to the Bible. Uh, at a lower or simpler level, you can try Max Lucado if you're not a big reader and not big into theology and philosophy. Max Lucado is a good author to start with as you get deeper into your faith and start looking into something that will find you more significance in um, deeper thinking, like De the works of Dallas Willard are wonderful, who was a philosophy professor in California who recently went off to be with the Lord. And, and as you are seeking guidance, if you don't have anybody around you, if, you, if you're lacking in that, I recommend you call this number. It's a 1-800 number, 1-888-NEED-HIM, or 1-888-633-3446. It should also work internationally, 1-888-633-3446. And the people behind that line are genuinely dedicated people who will help you start that relationship with God and recognizing who He was in Christ. So in, in recap, the four, four uh, tips I give you are start asking the uncomfortable questions. Embrace them. Number two, seek relationship with God in prayer. Speak to God. He hears you. And as I said earlier, life without God is meaningless. Start seeking him because he is already seeking you. Number three, uh, open your Bible. That is your GPS of life. 
it will t- start telling you what God has already said about helping finding hope and meaning in life. And finally, seek uh, spiritual guidance from godly people. So those are the four tips I give you. I hope that you can use them to grow yourself as we continue together on this journey. Ask, uh, how can I pray specifically? Tell me what to say. There are no secret words, my friend, to say because God knows each and every one of us personally. Now, I am not a Muslim, but the, uh, the Islamic tradition says that God is closer to us than the very veins on our neck. Not only is that true, it's true because God is omni- omniscient. That means he knows all things. That means he knows you. So speak your heart when you pray. It's a conversation. When Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount said, this is how you should pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. When he was talking about that, he wasn't saying these are the words you should use when you pray. No. What he's saying is this is how an outline or a template of how to do it. So with that said, here is some way I would pray uh, if, you're, if you haven't done this before. So bow your head with me now if you would. And this is how I would do it. Dear Lord Jesus, God of very God, Lord of all of life, I know you made me that you are creator of all things and that you love me. Lord, I come before you because I am broken inside, because I need to change. I need to be a person that you made me to be. Forgive me my faults, my selfishness. Forgive me for not being the man and woman or woman I should be. Forgive me, Father, for not fulfilling the destiny you have put before me. Forgive me for breaking your heart with my sins and the people around me whose hearts I hurt as well. Change me, Father, from within. Remake me. Give me a renaissance of a heart. For you are the Son of God, and you died on that. You didn't just die for everyone. You died for me. And that you rose from the dead. I believe it with all my being. I believe it. Because if you died, I die with you spiritually. Lord, you rose. I one day will rise physically too. And right now I'm asking you to rise me and raise me spiritually. Give me a new purpose. Give me a new heart. Give me a new trajectory to life. Give me the gift of eternal life that starts not when I die, but now. I believe your words are true because you are the truth. Come into my heart. Remake me, change me, Lord Jesus. I trust you, my Savior. Amen. I hope that prayer helps you. Now we come to my favorite part of the show, the question and answer session. This is a letter from Jody. She writes, Dear Dr. Swice, I am struggling with the issue of faith. I don't know how to have it. Uh, How does one really learn to have faith in God when everything around us says we have to have evidence? 
Jody, thank you for the question. Um, this is actually a, an important point that's asked by many different people in different ways. You see, Jody, I also struggled with that for many years, being analytically and scientifically minded as a child. I asked so many questions that drove my teachers crazy and my uh, parents up the wall because I wanted solid answers to my questions. You see, when we're dealing with the question of evidence, Jody, uh, it's not a question of solid physical evidence that we're really seeking. I mean, take, for example, people who are in the crime industry who are seeking after evidence. One of the most important pieces of evidence in the crime scene is not physical. It's called motivation or motive. Why did the killer kill who he did? We need to know that, and it's an important part of the crime. And this piece of evidence called circumstantial evidence is not physical per se, uh, unless the guy actually wrote the letter down. But even then, his intentions are not physical. But, but nevertheless, we trust that type of evidence because it's enough to convict him once we have it and solid enough. You see, Jody, uh, most of us have faith in almost every part of our lives. Uh, we trust other things. We trust other people. For example, take some of the most evidence-prone people in the STEM field, the science, technology, education field. For example, take somebody who studies the detailed analysis of the DNA helix. That person is very much pointed toward evidence. They're inclined toward it. However, what does this person know about the meteorological map, the weather map, and how long storms come, and what is the actual formation of a tornado, for example, or a hurricane? What exactly are the chemical compounds in that? That's not his field. He has to trust somebody who has studied that field. He has to have what's faith. And that's actually, Jody, what actually faith is, scripturally speaking. Faith is trust. That's actually the word. is pistos in Greek. Uh, when, in the book of Hebrews, one of my favorite books, chapter 11, and verse 1, it says the following. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You see, uh, faith, is, or, or another translation puts it this way. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For it is by it the people of old received their, con their uh, commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made, excuse me, yeah. For, so what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. This is, comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, 3. I strongly take, recommend you take a look at that. It's a powerful chapter about what faith is from a biblical perspective. And coming along the side here, Jody, faith is about trust and trusting not just anyone or anything, but trusting someone reliable. It's not just the evidence that matters. It's the one that's doing the research for the evidence, is that person that's presenting the evidence to us, whether it is about molecular biology or at atmospheric variations in the, in the meteorological map, or, or whether it's about plate tectonics or about our blood when we go to the doctor who tells us that hemoglobins in our blood are off, we have to trust him when he writes that prescription. And that prescription can save my life. I can't spend my life researching that. I have to trust him. This is what trust is about. And when we come to a point of our lives, like I did, Jody, where I didn't know where to turn, who can I trust? I'm telling you, that it, the 
the person you trust has to be a person of authority, not just any authority, but legitimate authority. And the legitimate authority coming from Jesus of Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, is the highest you can possibly get, Jody. And this is the type of trust we're talking about. Trust someone with legitimate authority who has behind him a whole record of truth. Well, we've come to the end of our show. Thank you for being with me. You can follow me on Twitter. It's Socratic Knight. Socratic Knight. Uh, of course, on Facebook, it's called Logically Faithful. And most importantly, on the website, logicallyfaithful.com, there's a free gift for you. It's called Blind Spots of Science 10 Things You Cannot Prove with Science Alone. It's a free ebook just for signing up. Uh, give your uh, email there, and you'll get free updates about uh, things that are happening um, with Logically Faithful, things we're doing in ministry. Uh, of course, we'll be able to keep in touch that way. Thank you for being with me. I appreciate your time. Uh, one final request. Please leave a review on iTunes if you found this to be helpful. That would mean a lot to me. Go make the world a better place. One life at a time.